this is, uh, I want to encourage you. I know 20, Isaiah mentioned this. 2020 has been, was a, was a crazy year, right? Um, but I'm not going to give that any more glory because we had a great year. So I'm, I'm not going to talk about how awful 2020 was because actually for us wasn't that awful. But, um, and I don't say that casually, I know. But this is um, the process, this is the, what the Lord gave me, of transformation, Okay. And uh, if you don't pay attention to anything I say today, pay attention to this, okay? Here's what transformation means. Transformation means a thorough and dramatic change in form or appearance. You could say image, dramatic change in image. You could say a dramatic change in identity. Um, But this is what transformation uh, means. And so the process to get to transformation, which I believe... We're all as a body in. No matter what stage you're in, I believe we as a body, I believe the church really, right now is in the process of transformation. Okay? There's three, and this is just what the Lord showed me, three kind of steps or uh, pieces to get to transformation. I want to walk through these because I think this is going to give a lot of clarity to, to a lot of you who are walking through different things right now. Um, number one, the first step, is deformation. All of these are going to be formation words on purpose from the Lord. Deformation. Now, now check this out. You ready for this? Deformation is the action or process of changing or distorting. Now, here's the other translation or the other uh, definition. Becoming obscure or becoming formless. Especially, straight out of the dictionary, especially through the application of pressure. One more time. First, this is the first step. And, it, and I went back and read chunks and chunks and chunks of Old Testament Scripture um, this week, and you see this over and over and over. You see with the Israelites, you see it with Abraham, you see it with Isaac and Jacob, you see it with Moses. I mean, you, you can trace this all the way through, okay? Noah, um, Process, number one, is a deformation. It's becoming formless, usually through the application of pressure. Genesis 1, the earth was void and formless, darkness covering the deep. Then the Spirit broods the waters, and God says, let there be light. Formlessness is the first step to Holy Spirit brooding and God speaking. So I think a lot, and I mentioned this to Ellington this morning, just, we just, I just talk to Ellington usually, but uh, about just word vomit. But anyway, and I, so I was telling him this morning, a lot of times I think, and I, I've mentioned this before, and I don't want to be casual to this, but sometimes I do. A lot of times we give the devil credit for stuff God's actually trying to do in us. So... So when the Lord is trying to get you to the place of formlessness because he actually desires to reform you again properly, when we get to the place of formlessness, naturally I start to say, I rebuke you, devil. And so when I was going through quarantine, I told you, I felt like I was losing it on day three. Literally, I mean, just going insane. And uh, I get to the end of quarantine, and the whole time I'm like, I rebuke you, you know, just speaking to all this stuff which is all great stuff, you know. But I got to the end of it, and the Lord said, you know, you kept rebuking the devil about I was doing that. That wasn't the devil. That was me. 
I was trying to get you to face things you wouldn't face unless I sat you down for 10 days and said, here they are. So I'm worried about money. We don't have money problems. Our church doesn't have money problems. And yet I'm worried about money. I'm worried about retirement. I'm worried about how Veda's going to go to college. I mean, crazy stuff that the Lord actually has all under control. And I'm sitting here having a panic attack about stuff that doesn't even exist in quarantine. And we're rebuking it, rebuking it, rebuking it. And the Lord's saying, no, 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 you have fears that you should not have, and I've got to deal with them. And Ephesians 5, everything that's brought to the light, what does he do? Turns it into truth. So he's bringing it to the light, bringing it to the, and he's making sure I'm locked in a room without escape for 10 days to make sure that I can't shove it down and go get busy doing something so my mind gets off of it. Because that's typically what I do, right? That's typically what you do. The Lord will say, hey, you know, you worried about that last week. Oh, that's all, man, I need to go pray for this person. Or you just start doing whatever to take your mind off what the Lord's trying to do. And he said, this time, i got to lock you in a room. And for 10 days, same amount of time the disciples were in the upper room waiting on the Holy Spirit. For 10 days, I'm going to allow all this stuff to come up. You're not going to like it. It's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to curse me. You know, I didn't curse him. But like he's saying all this stuff because what he actually desires for me is to get to transformation. And the first step to that is a death to every part of my formation that didn't belong there. So he allows pressure. But I mean, what does James 1 say? The testing of your faith, pressuring your faith develops what? Perseverance. To make you mature and complete, lacking nothing. So deformation, number one. Once you get through that process... Number two is, and just hang with me for a second, information. I'm going to say it like this, information. okay? This is from the Latin word, which is not just you taking in stuff on the news or whatever, okay? The, in, the word information is from the Latin word that means, you ready? The formation of your mind through teaching. In its original sense, the word information is literally formation of your interior. So it's how you think, it's how you process things, it's how you see yourself, it's how you see him, it's how you see struggles, it's how you see 2021, it's how you see COVID, all that stuff. Okay? So he gets you to formlessness. Then he begins to form your interior world. Jesus said it like this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does repent mean? It means turn and go the other direction, right? Turn and go the other way. But the other meaning is to change how you think. Okay? So there's information. And then number three, there's a word that we throw around in the church a lot. Reformation, or most of the time people pronounce it reformation. Same thing, same word. Reformation is from the Latin word, which English comes from Latin, if you, if you didn't know that. I took Latin in high school, that's the only way I know that. Uh, reformation comes from the Latin word that means, you ready for this? To shape again. 
You might say it like this, to be born again. So you have Genesis 1, the earth was void and formless, darkness covering the deep, spirit broods over the water. God speaks, he speaks, and then creation responds. Do you see this? Take Noah. Noah, the earth has gone crazy. One righteous man, Noah. What happens? The whole earth is destroyed. Noah gets off the boat, and then what does the Lord say? Be fruitful and multiply. I mean, look at the Israelites. They leave Egypt, they go into the wilderness, lose their ever-loving mind. They start wandering in the wilderness for right, becoming formless. A whole generation dies. The Lord raises up Joshua, and he says, you and this generation are going into the promised land. He speaks it. They walk into the promised land. They take the promised land, and then they dwell in the promised land. You could take this out. Take Jesus' life. Take the kingdom. Primary, I mean, all this stuff. So a lot of you, I feel like a lot of you are in a deformation season. I feel like I'm in an information season personally because I just walked through this. But a lot of you, there's pressure being applied to your life. And you've said things like, this is what the Lord, this is what the Lord kind of, um, I'm going to just read my notes. This is what he said. He first allows pressure to break us down into formlessness. Here, see if this sounds familiar to some of you. Here, you might question everything. Nothing seems clear anymore. You start looking for an escape, and you may ask or think, who am I? That, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand. I, that sounds very familiar, right, to a lot of people? There's pressure. You start looking for escapes. You start wondering if this is even what you need to be doing with your life. I mean, you start going, what, chaotic, right? Then he, in our state of formlessness, begins to form that which makes up our interior world, which is our thoughts, our beliefs, our theology, identity, purpose, how we think and process things, and allows us to receive through teaching. That might be through spiritual fathers and mothers. That might be through the Word. That might be through God Himself. That might be through brothers and sisters. But He allows us in that season to lean on community so that he can begin to reform our interior world, which everything in our interior world is what illuminates our exterior world. So when you look like what you aren't on the inside, that's called a mask. That's called pretending. It's called fake, right? But when your interior world has been transformed, you don't have to fake what's exterior because you can be what you actually are. And the Lord wants a church that is authentically transformed, not superficially transformed. He doesn't want a church that can say we've got a million people saved this year. I hope we get a million people saved. He wants a church that the handful of people that are there in the first place are actually saved. Because that can lead to millions of people being transformed. Pretending will not lead to millions of people being transformed. It might lead to millions of people being a part of a religion. Once the inward is revived, the interior world is revived, he shapes then the whole of who we are again. 
we get our image back. He uses the seed of the inward transformation to grow our outer image, not the other way around. You know, I I grew up, um, I didn't grow up, when I first started in ministry, I was a part of a really large church in Kentucky. And we went to, I'm not going to say where or what the conference was or anything, we went to a conference about church growth. And um, and the main uh, point in that conference from one of the most well-known pastors on earth, um, one of the main points was in ministry, you have to fake it till you make it. That was literally the whole conference. Fake it till you make it. You're not feeling it, fake it, and eventually the, the reality will follow. And so y'all know what I did for years? Faked it. And while I was faking it, the authentic me was being demolished. Until I got a revelation that we're actually not supposed to fake it till we make it. We're supposed to submit until we are what we want to be. Right? And so in the secret place, and y'all have heard me tell this story. I, I, to this day, do this. Started waking up at the crack of dawn and laying in the floor and letting him just... And once he did that, then beginning to hear whispers I never heard. I never felt qualified for. I still don't feel qualified for. None of that stuff. But I've got book after book after book after book of handwriting where the Lord is speaking things to me that I I, every single time will say, Lord, if anybody ever sees this, they're going to think I'm crazy. I mean, literally, in my notes, if anybody ever sees this, they're going to think I've lost my ever-loving mind, but I believe every word of it. And so I, I, uh, as we're going into talking about the Holy Spirit, I really think we need to make sure that we are actually trusting the Lord. And I'm not, it's not just a, you know, Lord, I trust you, and then you wake up tomorrow and everything's roses. And maybe, maybe. But, but that is not for your good if there's stuff you need to deal with. It will, it will destroy you. So when we say, Lord, I trust you, what we're signing up for in that moment is him to say, I love you way too much to leave you where you are. So I'm going to test your faith. I'm going to apply pressure. I'm going to allow you to be purified. I'm going to make you face all the things you never wanted to face. But in the end, in the end, you're going to be transformed into somebody who is actually an image bearer. It starts when we get saved, absolutely. And, and you are perfect in the sight of God and all that stuff, but I refuse to stop there. You know, like I, this is, for me, this isn't about what's good enough anymore. I, I want every ounce of everything of God that I can get. All of it. If people call me crazy, if people call me insane, I'll be an insane guy full of God. Gladly. And some of y'all are saying amen. I, you'll see. But, no, I'm just kidding. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I want every single thing the Lord has for me. And, I, I, and it, he brought me back to some of these journal entries that I wrote back before we started. And almost every time I would say, Lord, I'll do this if nobody shows up. If it's just me and my family, we'll still do it. And, and even this week, the Lord's like, do you still believe that? Now that there's people here, now that there's people here, are you still willing to do that? Yes. 
Yes, yes. But the reason he asked me that is because every time he's, I start writing, when I start writing, here's how things process in my head. People won't like this. They're going to leave with that. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know what I'm saying? It's just like preparing myself. And the Lord's like, no, 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 no. Yet, that's not how we're doing things anymore. It's here's what the Lord gives. Take it or leave it. Eat my flesh, drink my blood, or you'll have no part in me, is what Jesus said, right? He didn't care what people thought about it. In fact, they all left. He didn't care. He was giving them permission to taste literally the word of God in that moment. Of course, he wasn't saying, eat my flesh. But later on, through communion and through intimacy, there is a consumption of God that begins to transform who we are. He was giving them access to what no layperson had access to before. And they all left because it sounded weird. You know why Jesus spoke things like he did? He was looking for the ones that would hear things that when it first hit them, they said, man, that is odd. But let's go. You know, that's who he was looking for. He, he, he didn't care for the people that he said, you know, this is what I mean. This is what I'm actually saying. This is what I actually mean when I do this. Oh, okay, okay, cool. No, no. He was looking for the ones that dared to trust that when they didn't understand what they heard, they would still follow the one that was the Son of God. Man, I feel this. Okay. Whew. I'm on, I'm on, Isaiah, I'm going to list you just... Let it rip every week. You and Mackenzie both. Y'all just are so awesome. <sighs> All right, let me read what, I was, what I've been uh, writing this week. I'll take some pieces of what I just said, and then uh, we'll go to John uh, 21, I believe. Let me make sure that's right. 20, John 20 first, and then we'll go to Acts 2. As I started two Sundays ago, um, as I stated last uh, two Sundays ago, I say it last Sunday, but that was I wrote this last week, so two weeks ago. Each week of this kind of foundational season that we're going through, we're going to go deeper. But as we go deeper, things are going to get more to the heart of topics that typically Christians have different views on. And I do not, I want to restate this, I don't want to teach you what to think. I really desire to teach you how to think for yourself. Okay, so I, I don't want you to hear, that's what Josh believes, therefore that's what I believe. I want you to hear that and say, Josh got to that through this, therefore I can go through that to get my that, if you will. Okay, that makes no sense. So I don't want to teach you what to think, I want to teach you how to think for yourself. Today is no doubt a topic that is of the utmost importance the most important outside of salvation, in my opinion, is what we're talking about today. Yet, particularly in recent years, has become divisive in the church as a whole. And that is the Holy Spirit. Ironically, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of unity. The church is most divided over the topic of the Holy Spirit more than any other topic in the church, more than predestination, more than the rapture, more than all of it. It's the Holy Spirit, which is why most people don't even talk about it. <clears throat> I'm not going to go deep today into the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, we will do that one week. I'm not going to do that today. But I am going to give us, try to give us an orthodox view of the Holy Spirit himself. Okay, Right thinking is what orthodox um, is. Who is he? How does he indwell believers? 
What are his purposes? What happened in Acts 2? What is the baptism as it's widely known of the Holy Spirit? The goal is, at the end of the day, for us to see why we must say yes to this gift of a life lived with and through the Spirit of God himself. He first appears in Genesis 1, bringing order to the obscure chaos, making a way for creation to come into fruition. I believe the answer to the chaos in our lives and in our world is a brooding of the Holy Spirit by way of conquered sons and daughters in covenant. The answer to our chaos today is not politics, as we've seen. The answer to our chaos is the Holy Spirit brooding the country again. Holy Spirit is a part of the Trinity, is fully God, yet operates distinctly. In the Old Testament, Holy Spirit was operating through certain individuals, particularly prophets, to bring about God's word and to work in Israel, God's people. In the New Testament, Holy Spirit is given to all believers, Jew and Gentile alike, uniting God's people into one body and making the intimate relationship through covenant that God desires to have with us possible. He's not distant. For the believer, he's literally within. God is not distant. For the believer, he's literally within. He's literally become one with us. I mean, just, just think about this for a second. That God, through the Holy Spirit, fully God, has literally, this isn't a theological kind of metaphor, I mean, this is literally become one with you and I. The Holy Spirit is within me. The Holy Spirit is with you. Let's say it like this. God is within me, and God is within you. When did that stop making us say, hold up? I mean, when, when, okay, when, when did that stop making us burn for what the Lord is doing in us? When, think about the love and kindness it takes for Jesus to go to the cross for the purposes of, of God's people having access to what he actually wanted God's people to have access to, which is himself. What kind of love? What kind of grace? What kind of perfection does God see within you and I that he knit together in our mother's womb that he did all of this so that he could dwell within you? But we, we take this so for granted. This is the one thing that sets us apart. The Holy Spirit is what sets us apart. Unbelievable. Okay, so I think the best place to start, and don't turn there. I'm just going to read this, and then I'm going to go to John. But I think for us, the best place to start is Mark 2, very familiar passage that I've read thousands of times since we started this church. I'm going to read it again. And, uh, and this is going to be where we kind of see the rest of the day through, okay? So Mark 2, verse 22, I'm just going to read this, okay? It says it like this. Um, no one pours new wine into old wineskins, okay? Otherwise, the wines, 
the wine um, will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wine skins will be ruined. No, they put new wine into new wine skins. Okay? Now, I've taught this so many times before. When it says new wine skin, it's not throwing away one and making a new one. It's taking the old one and baptizing it in oil until it becomes like new. Okay? So, so just like you and I, when we're saved, we don't literally become a brand new dna person. We're the, we're the same individual, yet we've been made new. Right? So this is what Jesus is talking about. The wineskin could be described as us individually, or it could be described as us as a body. The wine is the, is the new covenant brought about by Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and filling with his spirit, the spirit of God. So this will be the lens we see this teaching today through to understand our helper, our power, our strength, and our covering the Holy Spirit. It is the very essence of God invading the essence of us to make our image-bearing complete and total reality. John 20, verse 22. Let's go there. John 20. This is where people get caught up. Is uh, trying to tell the difference between John 20 and Acts 2. Um, and so we're just going to do both, and uh, and we're gonna we're gonna see this. Uh, I've, I've got so many marks in my Bible. I actually have a hard time finding where things are. So maybe that wasn't such a good idea. John 20, verse 22. Um, actually, let me start with 21. <clears throat> Again, Jesus said, "Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you." That's massive. Okay, verse 22. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of people will say, Wait a minute, I thought they received the Holy Spirit in Acts. Okay? So, this, John 20, precedes Acts 2. This is before Acts 2 happens. Okay? He's with his disciples, he blows on them. The Greek word, check this out. For blue or breeds, depending on your translation, is the Greek word emphusio. And it means to breathe into or to breathe upon. Okay? It is only found right here in the New Testament and nowhere else. It's found one place in the entire Greek New Testament, and it's right there in John 20. However... In the Septuagint, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Okay, It's the Greek Old Testament. So the Greek word for blue is found exclusively right there in John 20. Ready for this? In the Septuagint, that same Greek word is found in Genesis 2-7. When God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. So think for a second, okay? Jesus rises again, and he comes to his disciples, and he's teaching them about the kingdom. He's doing all this stuff, and then he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. That word is the same thing that happened in Genesis 2-7 when God 
breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. So, and they would have known this, okay? They, they would have understood what was going on. They were Jews. They would have known what was happening. Jesus is in this moment taking them back to the beginning and symbolically, I would even say maybe even literally, placing them right where they were with God before the fall. Okay? Receive the Holy Spirit. This was Jesus regenerating their wineskin. It was making them new. This was Jesus giving them new life from the beginning. Okay? Think of the phrase born again, which is translated in Aramaic, which is what Jesus spoke when, when he goes to Nicodemus and he's sharing, unless you're born again, you'll never see the kingdom. When he says born again in the Aramaic, which is what Jesus spoke, that is actually unless you are born from the origin or born from the beginning. So in the Aramaic, he's telling Nicodemus, unless you are born from the beginning, you'll never see the kingdom of God. And then he goes to his disciples and he breathes on them the same breath that was breathed into Adam's nostrils. Okay? The Holy Spirit, that word spirit is translated wind, it's translated breath. Okay? So when he's breathing into them, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the holy breath. So when you are born again and you say yes to covenant with God through salvation, you receive the breath of God to give you new life or to take you back to your origins. Y'all with me? And this is a lot. Spirit, I just said, has three translations in the Greek. It's wind. So in Acts 2, it's translated wind. It's breath, John 20. You could say that's translated in some, in fact, some translations translated breath. And then it's also translated spirit, okay? Which is that which illuminates your being. So um, what does Mark 2, 22 say is a consequence of the wineskin submitting to the process of renewal? What does he say? When the wineskin becomes new, what does that trigger? It's not a trick question, New wine. The, the new wine is waiting for the wineskin to become new. To, for the wineskin to be transformed. So it's not, it's not the Lord saying, nope, I don't want to give it to them. It's the Lord saying, I desire to give it to them, but I love them way too much to give it to them while they're old. Right? So, so it's, it's what triggers new wine is not the Lord saying, eh, I guess it's time. It's the wineskin saying, yes, it's time. Submerge me in oil. It's the wineskin submitting to the process of transformation, which triggers it. So the Lord Jesus breathes on them, creating a, let's say, new wineskin in this moment which has to precede what was poured out in Acts 2. So John 20 is preparation. It's making them new. Acts 2, which is what we're about to read, 
is filling them with the wine that now that they've become new, they're capable of receiving and containing. So let's go to Acts 2. Man, I'm just doing, blowing through these notes. I thought I'd take way more time than this. Praise the Lord. Acts 2, our church is named after Acts 2, if you didn't know that. And um, so I'm just going to read. Start in verse 1. I'll give you a chance to turn there while I take a drink of this. And um, it's going to be so cool. Acts 2, Acts 2, Acts 2. They're all together in an upper room. All right, I'm going to start. When the day of Pentecost came, 50th day, uh, there's so much about Pentecost. I can't wait for Pentecost this year. I'm going to teach you on it, so I'm going to just hold it until then. Um, but when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind, okay, there's that word, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages, depending on what your Bible translates it as, as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Verse 8, then how is it that each of us hear them in our own native language? I'm going to skip ahead to verse 12 to save you from horrible pronunciations. Verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Verse 13. Some, however, now check this out. Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Now, some translations say they're drunk on new wine. Okay? They made fun of them and said, ah, they just had too much wine. And yet, they're still there listening. Then Peter stood up. This is the same Peter that if you'll just flip your Bible back a little bit, was not in a good place. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews... And all who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, I think I mentioned this last week, and I know Mackenzie just mentioned this. Do you understand what Peter is saying here? Think about it. These people aren't drunk. This is what Joel was talking about. That takes some guts. You got to know that you know that you know if you're going to stand up and say, you know that prophet that prophesied years and years and years ago? This is what he was talking about. I mean, so Peter stands up, says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
all. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. That's where we get dream from. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. We, we don't understand a lot of what, because of our culture, a lot of what he's saying here, okay? Women were not at the same level as men in this culture, okay? So, and, and neither were servants. So what Peter is saying is the Holy Spirit has come. It's not just going to hit a couple Pharisees. It's not just going to hit a couple high priests. The Holy Spirit has come, and it's going to hit men and women alike. It's going to hit the high-level people and the low-level people alike. This is, this is radical teaching that Peter's doing right here. Now, like I said, we don't ever see it like that because of our culture, and things are pretty, I mean, give or take situations, pretty equal today. Okay, Way better than they've ever been. But in this culture, what Peter's saying here is radical. This is new, okay? So your young men will see visions. Your sons and daughters prophesy. Your young men see visions. Your old men dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on, in the, or my, bleh, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. 19. I will show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned dark the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. There's a lot of imagery right there. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm going to stop right there. I would love to keep going, but I'm going to just stop right here. Okay? This is inauguration of the new covenant, new wine being poured out. This reversed, reversed the event in Genesis 11. What was Genesis 11? The Tower of Babel. They're united they're speaking one language, and God says if they're united speaking one language, there's nothing impossible for them. They can do whatever they want, whatever their mind is set to. So he scatters the languages. Acts 2 happens, the Holy Spirit falls, and all these different languages hear the same message spoken, spoken in their language. He's uniting the people. He's literally reversing what happens in Genesis 11. So, but what does he say to that group of people? If they're speaking one language, which is now today is the Holy Spirit, that's the language, okay? If they're speaking one language and they're united as one people, there is nothing impossible for them. This is why 120 was able to do the damage they did. Because they were speaking one language, they were united in one spirit, Holy Spirit, in one body with Christ as the head, and they take the world by storm. And it's not because they're having giant events. It's not because, and I'm not saying these are bad, it's not because they're giving away things for free. It's because the Holy Spirit has now left the Holy of Holies and made His home in men and women and servants in high places all alike. That is what drew the people. It wasn't a show that drew the people. It was the fact that what was exclusive to a handful was now available and exclusive to everybody. This is, this is radical stuff. I tried to think of an example in modern day, and I couldn't think of it. 
um, of a good example to kind of make this reality for us. So I'm just going to have to ask you to use your imagination and pray the Holy Spirit makes this real for you. That we, we have acts, if you read the Old Testament, it, it is astonishing the free access we have to God. Astonishing that we never use, that we can just boldly approach the throne of grace and make our petitions known. Right now, I mean, we're in this room. The Lord is in this place. How do I know? Because all of us are in this place, and he's in all of us. But we're in this place. The Lord's in here, too, and we're exchanging revelation. And as I'm speaking some of this stuff, I'm sure a lot of you are chasing rabbits in your head, and a lot of you are like, oh, wait, I remember this said this in Mark, or this, and you know, whatever. And, you're, and it's literally the Holy Spirit, even as I'm speaking right now in this moment, is pulling all these streams together that was not available at one point to God's people in the Old Testament. And it wasn't because he didn't love them. It was because Jesus hadn't come yet. Right? But Jesus comes... He makes a way for every one of us to become a wineskin that is so transformed that we're able to contain the same power Jesus did that was the very power that got him out of a grave three days after being dead. Not just dead, slaughtered. Okay. Whew, y'all being a little quiet on me. But that's all right. Pentecost was the Jewish festival... I'm going to it just a little bit, but it was a Jewish festival known as the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, as it's known, and was a celebration of two things. It was a celebration of the wheat harvest, which is the best harvest, okay? Um, and then it was the they were, it was a celebration of the giving of the Torah, the Torah. Okay, this story mimics, and this time we'll end this. The story mimics. To a T, the giving of the Torah in Exodus 19. In so many ways, on purpose. Just like God made a covenant with his people to be with them by giving them the Torah, he makes a covenant with us by giving us his spirit. We can only have the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus did, right? So so I'm going to read this and then literally... I'm done. I'm going to let the Lord just speak. We're going to pray, and then that's it. But Exodus 19, I'm just going to read four verses. And I want you to tell me how familiar this sounds with what I just read. Okay? Exodus 19, just to show you God is very particular and very purposeful in everything that he does. Acts 2 wasn't just like, hey, I feel like sending fire. Phew! He did, he did, thanks. He did that on purpose so that when they see this pillar of fire coming with tongues, when they see this, it would click and say, God is establishing a new covenant. Okay? So Exodus 19, I'm going to start at verse 16 and just go to 20. Okay? Listen to this. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder, and this is going to be real cool, so remember that word, thunder, and lightning, with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, okay? Remember in Acts 2, there's this loud sound of a rushing wind. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. 
The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. That could also be translated, all the people trembled violently. Either way. As the sound of the trumpet got louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. Or it answered him with thunder. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord's. I'm going to just read just a little bit more. And the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priest who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. And then the Lord gives them, next up you see most of your Bibles, Ten Commandments, and he gives all this, uh, this law, this covenant. The word thunder... So in, in the Greek, in Acts 2, there uh, is fire and then there's tongues. So there's tongues of fire, okay? Or tongues that are in these pillars, if you will, of fire in the Greek. That is the same word in the Greek, Septuagint, as the word translated thunder in Exodus 19. Same word, okay? So in Exodus 19, when the Lord comes in fire and as it says thunder... That is the same Greek word as Acts 2 when he comes in fire and tongues. The word tongues and thunder, same word. Okay? So he's coming in the form that he came to Moses and the Israelites in Exodus 19 to give them and establish with them a new covenant. This time, not to just one group of people. This time, to all people. I think that's cool. I guess y'all don't think that's that cool, but that's all right with me. But why am I saying this? Because the reason I'm saying this is because we, we have a tendency to read certain portions of Scripture, not care less about the Old Testament usually, and, and that be the extent of our study. When the Lord was very meticulous to make sure from Genesis to Revelation, all of it was strung together in one line of thinking, which I would label as Jesus. All of it. He's coming to Jews in Acts 2, and he's pouring out his spirit in fire and tongues, okay? Same word. He's pouring out his spirit, and as they're seeing this, it would have clicked. It wouldn't have been a, something they had to figure out. When they see this happening, they would have known this is what Moses saw. This is what he said we should be waiting for. But this time... The Spirit of the Lord wasn't on a mountain while everybody else was told to stay away. This time, the Spirit of the Lord said, no, I'm going to come to you. You're not going to come to me this time. I'm going to come to you. Jesus was God stooping down to our level to raise us up to his level. He didn't say, you've got to do this and 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 be perfect and make sure you never do that and make sure you never do that and then you'll be co-seated with me. He said, you could never achieve being co-seated with me even if you were perfect. So instead, I'm going to become you. I'm going to die your death. I'm going to take your sins upon me so that you, simply by saying yes, can be co-seated where I am. What See, I, I say this stuff, and my fear is, is because we've heard this over and over and over in our lives growing up, that we hear this stuff, and it's like, oh, man, amen. Right? That, that kind of thinking is why we're getting our teeth kicked in. 
That right there is why we're... Because if we believe what this says, if we know how this ends, which we do, if we know how this ends, there is no time for us to be down. There's no time for us to be fearful. There's no time for us to be in anxiety. There's no time for us to doubt. And I'm speaking to myself because I know how this ends. This ends in all things working together for my good. You know why? Because I agape him. All things work together for the good of those who prefer him, who say, I'm willing to lay down what I think is best to take up what you know is best. And in that, all things begin to work together for my good, for your good, for our good, for our city's good. It's it's not about who gets elected. It's not about when this virus ends. It's not about when um, the, the political climate calms down. It's not about any of that stuff. And if you think it is, you've bought into things that you shouldn't have bought into. I mean, I mean, if I'm being honest, that's not what this is about. This is about your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, I'm not running to my bunker because a Democrat got elected. I'm not doing that. If anything, I'm going harder. Uh, let's, I mean, but we're, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. And at, us as a church, we're not going to start saving our money because this might get bad. We're going to give away more. I, you know what I'm saying? Because if, if the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is within me and it's within you, And if I'm in covenant with God to the point that he is literally becoming one with me deeper and deeper and more fluently and more authentically on a daily basis, if God is within me, guess what? I can't fail. He can't fail. Do you think think this pandemic, or I'm just using the pandemic as an example. You can use whatever you want as an example. Do you think this is going to take down God? No. Yet God is within me and you. So if it ain't going to take down him, guess who it ain't going to take down? Me or you? The disciples, listen to this. The disciples are on, man, I am about to whew, explode. Mostly because it's so hot up here. But the, the disciples are on a boat, okay? And Jesus is asleep in the boat. And while he's asleep, Lord, i got to move this in case I decide I want to just get a little exercise in. When I was growing up, that's what we, that's how we talk because people uh, would run. But I think we should get back to some of that personally. But anyway, I, uh, we had these older ladies that would have their hair in bobby pins. And I literally, every, on a weekly basis, we hit a song like, Oh, precious is the flow, whatever. And I mean, you, you'd see bobby pins, pew, 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 you know, just flying everywhere, right? But at least they were in love with the Lord. I mean, and so, I, um, Lord, I just literally lost my train of thought. What was I saying? Did somebody tell me what I was saying? Disciples. They were asleep on a boat. Jesus was asleep in the stern. Thank you. Jesus was asleep, right? Squirrels. Jesus was asleep. The disciples are on the boat. And this storm comes, right? The storm comes. They start freaking out. This is the end. 
we're done for, we're dead, we should have never followed this guy, look at where we, you know, like, just losing it, losing it. And Jesus is just sound asleep. I don't know how he slept through that, but he's sound asleep, right? They go, they're shaking, like, get up, like, what are you doing? And, uh, and Jesus has got to be like, you know, like, what, like why are you, what are y'all doing right now? And like taking a bucket of water, right? He's like, Shh, you know, Jesus, get up. And um, so, G- so Jesus gets up, right? And then, then he says this. He says this. Where's your faith? And I, if, so Peter, I, I know Peter had to be like, faith? Faith, like we're dying. Ship's sinking. I ain't worried about faith right now. We, we, you know what? You're like, but Jesus, where, where is your faith? And then what does Jesus do? He's like, all right, fine. Y'all ain't going to do it. I guess I'll do it. Walks out to the Stop. And then they're like, I mean, literally, they said, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? It's, that's, that is the same voice that when the Israelites are leaving Egypt and they walk up to the sea and they're like, we're done. We can't cross this sea. That's the, that's the same voice that when Moses gets his staff in faith and puts it in the sea or raises it up. That's the same voice, same voice, the same in Scripture, just my imagination, that speaks to the waves and says, move. Same one. This, why? Because that was the same one that brought them into existence in the first place. When Jesus is saying, be still, literally the translation should be hush, is what he's saying. When he says, hush, the wind and waves hear the same voice that said, let waters fill, or let there be a vault between the sky and the waters, and let there be land, and let there be... It's the same voice that brought it all into existence is now telling it what to do. It's now bringing it back in order. A lot of... Now, think about this. Jesus had to go to the cross. Why was Jesus here? To go to the cross, right? Right? Okay. Some of y'all were like, actually... He was, here, he was here really to bring his kingdom, but he did it through the cross. Okay, so Jesus had to go to the cross. Because Jesus had to go to the cross, was it possible for Jesus to die in the boat in the storm? This isn't like a philosophical, I mean, I guess it is. If, if Jesus, right, if Jesus dies in the storm, he dies in the boat, guess what ain't happening? I mean, I guess he'd probably rise again. But, but you know what I'm saying? He's here for the cross. So, so their courage, their faith should have been rooted in all the scripture they knew and honestly primarily in what he had said. That if that man has got to go to the cross and he hasn't gone to the cross yet, we can't die out here. I mean, I believe personally when Jesus said, and this is just me. Again, you don't have to believe what I believe. That's all right. But I believe when Jesus tells them, where is your faith? And I've said this before. I think what he was saying was, why didn't you tell the storm to stop? I, that's what I believe. I mean, you can disagree with that. I don't, that's fine. But wh- where is your faith? Why would you wake me up when you could have just talked to it? But they were too busy 
freaking out. They were too busy saying, this is going to be over. They were too busy saying, why did we follow this man? They were too busy saying, I don't even know who I am anymore. We're all about to die. This is all over. Freaking out that they forgot that the one asleep in the boat had a prophetic destiny to go to the cross. They can't die. They literally cannot die. And my fear is, is that, and I I use that loosely, is that a lot of us, and I say us broadly, a lot of us have been so called up, freaking out because there's storms and there are waves and there's chaos and people are losing their minds and there's been an election. People are telling people to wear a mask, whatever the case may be. We're so busy focused on chaos that we forget the one in us can't die. So So how does this end? Even if they behead me like they did Paul, guess what happens when Jesus comes back? I'm getting right back up. Even in death, they can't beat me. You know why? Because the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is living in me, and it's living in you. This isn't just about, it includes this. This isn't just about us praying for people. We need to do way more of that. But this is about your sanity. This is about you and I being of sound mind. This is about you and I actually living in peace. Peace isn't something that you just say, man, this is awful, but I claim peace. No, peace is a life. Peace is you saying, it could be awful, the storms could be going, whatever the case may be, I'm going to be steady. And if need be, I'll talk to the storm. Right? So so our house, COVID has blown through our house. Jordan's out of quarantine today, but they're watching from home. But... So, so we just had COVID blow through our house. I, 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 don't, I know it's different for everybody else. I would rather have a cold than what I, uh, I would rather have this than a cold, personally, um, for me. That was just how it was for me. I'm not saying that's how it was for everybody else. But, but walking through this, me and Jordan have had conversations, and I'm going to get a lot of flack for this, but y'all just hang with me. We've had a lot of conversations that people are freaking out over something that I know is different for everybody. But for the majority, is not something to freak out about. Man, I, I shouldn't have said that. I'm going to get so much flack. That's okay. But, but why am I saying that? The, here's the reason I'm saying I'm not saying you shouldn't. You should say, you know, screw you, government, and all that stuff. That's what I'm saying, okay? Not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is, is if you're caught up, worried, I mean, I'm, t- I'm not telling you being cautious. You know what? I'm not saying that, Okay? But I'm telling you, if you're caught up, worried, I'm not even talking about COVID, I'm talking about anything, then you're missing the fact that the one who is in you is greater than the one that is in the world. That no weapon formed against me shall prosper. That he tells the Israelites in an inferior covenant, you'll be the head, not the tail, the first, not the last, above and not beneath, the lender, not the borrower, in an inferior one. Before all of them were filled with the Spirit of God. Whoo, man. Let me just, what time is it? That's all right. If you got to go, I love you. Bless you. Second Chronicles. Just, just listen, to what he tell, listen to what he tells his people right here. Uh, Solomon builds the temple of the Lord. This is just very familiar. He builds the temple of the Lord. 
He dedicates it. He prays this long prayer. And this is what the Lord responds with. He says, Ooh, it's going to be tempting to get into stuff. I'm not going to. He says this, The Lord appeared at night. He doesn't appear to all the people. He appears to Solomon at night when he's by himself. Okay? He goes to Solomon. He appears to him at night, and he says this, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. Now listen to what he says. When I shut up the heavens, when I shut up the heavens so there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague upon my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, Here's the kicker. And turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins. And I will heal their land. Now he says that in the Old Testament. To Solomon. If my people humble themselves, they'll pray, they'll seek my face, they'll turn from their wicked ways. I will hear them from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. He's, he's, re, he's reiterating their covenant. That's what a covenant is, right? It's the Lord is giving us all he has, and we're giving the Lord all we have. Okay? We use, we use phrases like death to self, death to Adam. I don't personally, I, I think we need to rephrase the death to Adam because I think Adam um, was restored a little bit later. But anyway, that's um, we, we have to understand that what we're a part of is, is not just religious jargon. Y'all hear me? Like, this, this isn't just like, let's get, let's get pumped up because we're in the church. No, this is, this is the real thing. Like, this, this I, let me tell you something. I would not give my life to something that was fake. I would not give my life to something, waste my time with something that was just a bunch of hype-up stuff. I wouldn't do that at all. The reason I'm giving my life for this, the reason my family has given our life for this, is because this is the real thing. This is the only real thing. This is it. This is it. You and I are here because God said. That's it. I know the world wants to say different things. The Big Bang is, is I can't even express how much that doesn't make sense. Scientifically, thinking-wise, any of it. But we'll, we'll have all these different analogies of how we got here because the world is trying their best to prove that this isn't real. If you're having to try that hard to prove something is false, guess what? Probably is not false. I, I don't, if I'm trying to prove, if I have a dog up here and I'm trying to prove to you that the dog is a cat, it, I'm going to have to spend years trying to go through DNA, trying to tell you why the teeth are this big instead of this big and why you know all that stuff to try to get you to believe that a dog is a cat. And even after that, guess what? You're probably not if you believe me, you probably lost it, okay? So but but this is what we're doing. Why? Because there is such a desire and I don't understand it, but there's such a desire for us to be independent that we're trying our best to prove that the one we're supposed to be dependent on isn't there. 
There is such a desire to be on our own and make our own decisions and do our own thing that people have given their lives to prove that this isn't it. And guess what? Every single time it has stood the test because this is the real thing. So I'm laying down my independence and you should be laying down your independence and taking on his yoke which is light, and his burden, which is light, and saying, I trust you, you're not my co-pilot, you're the only pilot that I am riding in the ship with, and I'm going where you're going. I'm going where your wind leads me, I'm going where your spirit leads me, I'm going to operate in your peace, not mine, not a fabricated, not a fake, I'm operating in your peace, because you are within me, and he that is within me is what I said earlier, greater than he that is in the world. That all things are working together for my good. That we use that as just the, like, come on, boys, like, get inspired. All things are working together. No, no, no. All things are working together for my good because I love God. Not just casual love. I agape God. I prefer God. I lay down my preference to take on his preference. And because of that, all things are working together for my good. It's not just because I'm like, you know, I'm going to church, so all things are working out, all working out. They might. Check. Okay. <laughs> they, they might, right? But, but it's, the, it's the ones that say, I choose you. I prefer you. And as we trust, he begins to reform us. He begins to inform us. He begins to send us through this process of transformation where on the other side of it, we can start to receive a new wine that we didn't have access to before we submitted to the process of becoming a new wine skin. Isaiah, go ahead and come up here. Whew. So here's, here's what we're going to do. I, I, um, the Holy Spirit has gotten such a bad rap in the church because we've tried to discredit him as weird. I mean, that's, that's the reason most people don't, don't talk about the Holy Spirit. They don't mention the Holy Spirit. They don't encourage people to engage in the Holy Spirit. Or definitely don't encourage them to be filled with the Holy Spirit because we see it as weird. And my, my desire today my desire today, we don't see Jesus as weird. At least I don't, I don't think, typically. We don't see God the Father as weird. And yet some, for some reason, we have this, this, this thing with the Holy Spirit who is the same God that is odd and weird and all that stuff. You've got to lay that down. That, that, that's a lie. That's a lie. When, when, he was, when, when the Lord was moving in through the Corinthians and the church in Ephesus and through all these Romans and through all these Jews and he's in Philippians, he's moving through all these groups of people. They weren't outcasts in the culture because they were some weirdo freaks. They were outcasts because they rejected one government for another government. That's it. It wasn't because they were a bunch of weirdos. It was because these people, you know, if you walked into, I think I've taught this before, if you walked into an early church meeting, do you know what it would have looked like? Most of it would not have looked like people throwing down. 
most of it would have looked like a college classroom because people didn't have education access. People didn't have access to the things that in that culture only the elite had access to. The church was giving those people the lowest of the low access to what only the highest of the high in that culture had access to. So they were teaching them how to read. They were teaching them how to write. They were teaching how to be literate. They were teaching them how to teach. They were teaching them music. They were teaching them the arts. And they were literally culturizing the culture of Rome to be transformed into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not great services. It includes that. But the kingdom of God is the broad-reaching restoring of the culture as a whole. It's art. It's finance. It's business. It's whatever you call It's politics. It's government. It's schools. It's, it's being a chef. All of it is being renewed into the kingdom of Almighty God. This is what the Holy Spirit empowers so we, we need, and it also gives us gifts, which we're going to go into that maybe next week. But, but we, we need a fresh view of the Holy Spirit. I don't even like saying the Holy Spirit. We need a fresh view of Holy Spirit. We used to call it Holy Ghost in the King James church I grew up in. It had a lot more like power to it, you know what I mean? Holy Spirit is, is good, but man, when you say Holy Ghost, it, it just gets you in a different way, you know? And maybe that's why we maybe that's why we did that. But, um, but we this this is our access. Jesus gave us access to God. Holy Spirit is what remains in us twenty four seven our entire lives to lead us in the ways of God, to lead us in the image bearing of God, to lead us in being Jesus here and now, to lead us into doing bigger and greater things than what was done that we read about in the Gospels. I know people want to translate that differently, and that's okay. But Jesus said, all who believe in me will do the works I do and greater works. Why? Because the same power and authority that was within him is within you and I. So I'm not waiting on government to change race. I'm not waiting on government to change equality. I'm not waiting on government, government to change the financial situation in our country. I'm not waiting on government to change the church situation. I'm stepping in as a son and, and you're stepping in as a son and daughter into what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no mind has comprehended and bringing his kingdom into this one. I, I, don't, I, I, I don't think we need a transfer. Man, I'm gonna say this so wrong. I don't think we need the current culture to be better. I think we need his culture to completely overtake our culture. You know, I, I, it's not wrong to pray that things get better. But if we're praying things get better more than we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we have missed it. I hope things get better. But I believe the way things are going to get better is by you and I being so conquered in the secret place that he begins to whisper things to us that are going to be keys to unlocking doors that have been locked from Genesis 3. We, we, I, I could sit around and pray for a cure for cancer, and if that comes, amen. Or 
we could be so conquered that cancer runs as far as it possibly can from us. Take your pick. Take your pick. When, have you seen The Chosen? Have y'all seen that? Amazing. When the leprous man shows up, they freak out. They're running for their lives. But Jesus walks up, and you can read this in the gospel. He, he doesn't just say, be cleansed, but stay away. Jesus embraces this man. So he wasn't just healed. In that moment, he felt affection that he maybe had never felt in his life. And if he had, it had been years and years and years because nobody would touch him. He was nasty. He was considered unclean. He wasn't welcomed in the places that other people were welcome. And here comes the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the one that was there in the beginning when there was a word spoken, let there be light. That man was standing in front of this nasty, diseased man that nobody wanted, and he didn't just speak to him, he embraced him. He doesn't just desire for us to be better, our culture to be better. What he desires is for his world to so embrace our world that it produces it getting better by way of another kingdom being established in the earth. And it's the kingdom of God. Of the increase of that kingdom and of the increase of his peace, there will be no end. So the church isn't getting beat. You're not getting beat. And I'm not getting beat. If anything, he is preparing us for what we've never seen before. So you better buckle up. You better open wide when he comes to rip out all the stuff that you have refused to let him rip out before. Don't recoil. Don't fall back. Open up and say, I trust you if it costs me everything. As long as I get you in the end, you can take it all. It's a popular thing to sing. It's a popular thing to get pumped up about. But when he comes and asks for everything in exchange for him, most people aren't willing to do that. And I'm not saying I am either. But I'm, I'm closer than I've ever been. I'm not there yet. But I am closer than I've ever been. I believe some of you think you're far away and you're closer than you've ever been. Some of you feel like you haven't heard from the Lord in a long time. Some of you feel like you haven't had that great of a quiet time. Some of you feel like you've been running and running and running. You haven't been running away from the Lord. The Lord is with you. You've actually been running to Him. He's been testing your faith so that you become mature and complete, lacking nothing. He hasn't left you because He desires you to die or because He desires you to be left in the dark. He hasn't left you at all. He might have turned the voice down a little bit so that you can get close enough to hear the whisper. And if that's the case, amen. Whisper softer and softer and softer because I'm going to get closer and closer and closer. The softer He whispers, the closer you have to be to hear it. So there's people who are at a distance that are hearing big, amazing things. But there are people that are getting so close, not just here across the world, across our country. There's other churches in Colombia. There are people that are starting to get so close that they're actually starting to hear the whispers nobody's ever heard before. I, I feel this all over me. The access to that is Holy Spirit. 
The access to that is saying, baptize me. Why do we use that language? Why do we use that? We use that language because it's a literal immersion in the Spirit of God. I don't want this much. I don't want this much. I don't want this much. I want so much that all of me is immersed in it. That's what that language is. I want want to be filled to the brim and overflowing with the Holy Spirit. I don't want to have to strive to do ministry. I want the Spirit of God to be so full in me that ministry happens every time I walk because it's spilling out. Peter's on his way to the temple and people are getting healed all over the road because his shadow hits them. He's not doing anything. He's so filled to the brim that as he's walking, every person he walks by, they would bring the sick and lay them where they knew Peter, not Jesus. Peter would walk by because they knew there was so much power and anointing on Peter's life that when he walked by, his shadow would heal them. What if we got to the place where we were so full of the Spirit that as we're walking into work, they're bringing their family members, they're bringing their friends, and they're saying, if that person could just walk by me, I'll be healed. What if we got to that place? Well, Josh, that's heretical. Peter did it. And if Peter can deny Jesus and curse his name three times and be filled with that much power, you and I can too. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how far you've run. I don't care how many times you've cursed his name. I don't care how many times you said, I don't want anything to do with this. You are the one that he comes to and says, do you love me? Well, yes, of course I love you. No, 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 no. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. No, 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 Peter, Peter, Peter. No, do you love me? Do you love Jesus, listen, listen, I'm I'm almost done, maybe. Jesus, the, the Son of God, comes to a man who had just denied him three times. Oh, man, I feel this. And he goes to Peter, and he does not say, Peter, I love you. He says, Peter, do you love me? Jesus, resurrected Jesus, desired the love of the one that had just cursed his name three times. How many times, oh man, how many times does he ask Peter, do you love me? Three. Every time, Peter, do you love me? I wonder if every time he said that, Peter thought about one of the times that he cursed his name. Peter, do you love me? Well, yes. Yes. No, do you love me? Yes. No. Do you love me? So I'm going to pray. And, um, and as I do, we're just going to take a minute like we did last week and, uh, and come up to the front if you, if you want to pray. But maybe you've never, like maybe you've been saved, but you feel like you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. Like this is, this is your moment. This is your moment. If, if, if you have a stigma because of how you grew up or how you were taught or how you weren't taught or what you've seen on a documentary, whatever the case may be, lay it down. Because if it was what the disciples who walked with Jesus needed, 
to change the globe, I guarantee you it's what you and I need to change the globe. And it's not even a need for me at this point. It is a desire. It started at I need you. And over the years, it's gotten to the point where I have now begun to pray. I, I want you. I'm not doing this because I have to. I'm doing this because I'm here if it costs me my life. And so, uh, so I'm going to pray, and then we'll just take a minute. If you want to come up and pray, you can. If you need to go, I know it's getting late, so that's totally fine. I'm going to pray, and then we'll just take a minute. Lord, I pray that you would baptize us in a new measure of your Holy Spirit. All of us. All of us. Myself included. Would you baptize us? Would you immerse us into a new measure of your spirit? In your name, amen. Amen. Y'all go ahead. If you need to pray at your seat, you can. I want to pray up here. Awesome. I'm just going to take a minute and ask the Lord to refill us.